Good evening, and welcome to All Crossed Out, the second episode of All Crossed Out on Colin. It's 9 p.m. on Wednesday, and uh, we're all crossed out already, <laughs> which is kind of the uh, which was kind of the origin of the uh, the show name when we were trying to figure out what to call this. Um, that was sort of my thought process. I said, like, if we do it midweek, we could say, like, it's just we're all, we're already all crossed out. <laughs> <laughs> now you know um, how the sausage gets made, people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, as the as the title says, we're uh, we're just generally speaking, we're here to talk about uh, Ukraine uh, and some of the you know newest developments, I guess, if you wanna call it that. Um, but uh, in a, in sort of a, an added uh, benefit, because you know, like uh, I think a part of this uh, platform is interactive, right? And, and, and to have uh, interaction with more people. And so I think uh, bringing on guests of this sort uh, might be a good idea and like a good uh, good way to use the platform, obviously. Uh, like I did uh, on Monday, I did uh, uh, Stephen Miller's call-in show and we spoke about Elden Ring. And so, and it was nice to just kind of pop on and do a thing with him. And, and so uh, I asked uh, Carlos to come on um, because, uh, uh, he, he was recently, uh, in, uh, in Poland on the Polish Ukrainian border. I mean, the story goes like this. I get a, I get a text from Carlos, like, I don't know, three weeks ago or something like that. Um, and I didn't see it until later in the day. It was like a text from that morning. And it said something like, uh, I'm thinking about going to Poland or I'm thinking about going to Ukraine or something like that. And I was only able to answer it many hours later. And I wrote something like, uh, oh, really? And his reply was, oh, I already did it. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I by the time I got around to seeing your text, you had already like gone through the whole like process of deliberating and then you actually got a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me. It literally took me about three hours to decide on it. I sent that text to you, and then three hours later, I was like, I already had my ticket. That's uh, that's great. So uh, you know what? How about you can uh, you can start by uh, because because we, uh, you and I we still haven't had a chance to like sit. I mean, it was kind of because of this where I didn't we didn't like sit down and you just told me everything about your trip. I was like, save it for the show or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, how about you can start by like explaining like that that thought process, like what what brought about this idea of like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should do this. So first of all, uh, when the war started, it, as with everything breaking news related, all the shit posting started on Twitter, uh, and uh, and I joined it, of course, as one does on Twitter, and uh, eventually started seeing more pictures about people getting, you know, people dying and all these refugees coming through to uh, Poland. Um, you know, all the people being forced to, all the men of fighting age being forced to stay. And just one day I woke up and I said, you know what? What if I just go there and actually do something as opposed to just sit here and shit post on Twitter? Um, and like I said, it took me about three hours to deliberate on that. I found a pretty good flight to Warsaw and decided to do it. 
uh, yeah, I mean that's that's cool, and also you, you know it, there's a there's sort of a unique uh, situation here. There's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, we were t- speaking about this on our our other our, our podcast on uh, how uh, everything is uh, sort of reduced and flattened to like a discussion of racism about why the attitudes towards this conflict are maybe different uh, uh, to conflicts that happened in places like Syria or Yemen stuff like that. And uh, this is one of those situations where in the war in Syria, for example, somebody in your situation who said who decided like, I what if I want to go not not super easy for you to do something like even if you wanted to go to a border of of like a country like Turkey, like the Turkish Syrian border, going there at no point was like super easy or super simple because you, I, I'm assuming that you, you know, you got to Warsaw and you got all the way over to the, the, the border in a totally normal, normative way, right? It wasn't like you had to, like, bypass military checkpoints or anything like that. No, it was, I rented a car and drove down there. It was, it's about a four-hour drive to the, to the town where all the refugees were coming. Um, and if... I wasn't there for anything else. It would have just been kind of, it would have felt like just a normal European joyride. That's one of the weird things about this situation. And I mean, as many, many weird things, obviously about this situation, but it's really the first time I can think of where people can just go to an active war zone and report by themselves without having to like, get permission from the U.S. government and get clearance to go somewhere and do something like anybody can just go. And even if you just want to go and help, you can just do it without having to really do much other than book a plane ticket and figure out how to get from the airport to wherever you want to go. Right. I mean, I could have I could have very easily gone into Ukraine as well. The only problem Mm -hmm. would have been getting back into Poland, but I could have just easily as easily gotten there, driven down, walked into Ukraine and did whatever. Yeah, because we I mean, we know like I think Jen Jen knows uh, someone who went into Ukraine proper. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it and and, and uh, it, that's that is part of it. It's not so it's a war zone, but it's not a conflict zone, quote unquote, you know, like uh, like I said, like a place like Yemen is like where it's not. It's not. It's this is Europe. Like that is the 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 weird sort of a uniqueness of this situation. Yeah, and well, the only the only the only uh, it, it, you're right. It, it didn't feel like an active conflict zone or an active war zone, rather. Um, when I was so there's a there's the main town um, that is where all the refugees are going mostly through by a train. Uh, and then a little, there's a town even closer to the border where the actual border checkpoint is. Mm-hmm. That was the only place where I really felt as if it were a war zone. Everything was blacked out. Uh, no one, I, no one was on the streets of that town. All the lights were off in, in, in the houses. And the only thing that was on were the uh, lamp, you know, the street lamps and the border checkpoint. And that was about it. And then, of course, hearing the Russians bomb about six miles away uh, early that Sunday morning. So that was the only time where I really felt like it was a, an actual war zone. 
Yeah, my uh, my Jewish mother instincts went into kicked into high gear when you said you were going. I gave you a whole list. I went full on like I full went full on yent on you. I was like, I want you to check in every day, Carlos. I don't want to worry. I want to know where you are every morning. More than once. I literally think I said more than once if you can. Or something like yes, that. Yes, you gave me a specific checklist. You, I, you know what? It's I think it, you, you even... In- but it's and I'll, it's funny because um, it, it, I, I got that instinct from a weird place. I'm semi-obsessed with uh, documentaries about uh, mountain climbing, rock climbing, and mountain climbing. And yeah, part of their sort of safety routine, also like hike people who go like on serious hikes and stuff, is that you're always checking in and you're checking in. Like, I don't know, I think I have this weird paranoia that if I were to like drop dead one day, like how long would it take until anybody would notice? You know, that weird fear that you have, like if you're just in your apartment or I don't know what. So like I have this idea of like I want to be, I want to know that like a gap in communication is something I should be worrying about. And so if we establish that you always check in, then if I don't hear from you, at least I'll know that I'm worried for a reason and not for no reason. <laughs> right. If I, you know, if you don't hear from me for about five minutes, uh, just wait. And and you know what? And and part of it had to do with the fact that because why why are all these journalists like why is there an increase in journalists that are dying? It's not that they're being more brazen. It's not that they're uh, uh, venturing further into increasingly more dangerous areas. It's that areas become dangerous unpredictably and areas that you wouldn't consider uh, tactically or strategically important enough to be shelled, like an evacuation route, you know, like something like that. So because there was a thing I saw there was a uh, a Russian uh, uh, reporter woman who died, I think, today. Uh, And it was a thing like that. She was like covering the – the, the 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 aftermath of a shelling of some civilian thing and then another shelling came in and killed her um and so and so that made me worried i was like because who know, you know you might be like 2 miles into the ukrainian territory in in some town because i think i did you do that i think you did do that at some point right you you did do a quick foray in or did you am i misremembering so I, I went to the town, to the border check town. I was I was basically as close as you could go to Ukraine without going into Ukraine. Okay, mm-hmm. like I could, it was just right in front of me. Sure, uh, sure. But of course, since I was only there for a few days, I didn't want to even try to go in there and then attempt the hell that it is to get. Well, that's like what happened. I don't know if everybody read the AP reporting from the AP reporters. They were the last ones to get out of Mariupol. And basically, they kind of got stuck there and had to go through this wild series of events where basically they had to, like, sneak out of a hospital dressed as doctors to try to get out. It was crazy. But, yeah, that's happened to a lot of journalists. And I think it was – I think it came through Sky News, but I don't know if it was their people. But they released footage of their journalists or camera people and everything in the car and – Russian military just opened fire on the car. And even after they were identifying themselves as press, they kept firing at them. And it's really, it's a really scary video. Honestly, I don't know how these people even survived, but yeah, it's a, it is a fairly dangerous situation now. And especially now it's extremely dangerous because now who knows where bombs are going to drop next, but yeah, it's, it's frightening. 
Did you, uh, Carlos, did you see a lot of like uh, of people who were in a sort of a similar situation to you, people who didn't come as part of like, I don't know, the International Red Cross or some big delegation, but people who on a slightly more kind of grassrootsy level said like, I'm going to go or I don't know, not maybe not just uh, uh, individuals, but maybe small, smaller groups or smaller kind of uh, collections of people. No, not really. I, I was kind of the only person there who went on their own. I, I, I would imagine that there were some people there that maybe have that had done it, but when I was there, the only groups of people that were there at the train station, for example, were the uh, charitable organizations helping out the refugees and the press. And those are really the only two groups uh, present, uh, but otherwise, it was just me. Were there are there many are, are there many different uh, uh, points in which uh, people crossed the border over from Ukraine into Poland? Are there multiple uh, border crossings? There are multiple border crossings. This was just the main one because there's a main connection to Lviv via train, mm-hmm. and so that was the main. Uh, border crossing, but there are a few points across on the Polish border where people could cross. Gotcha. Um, cool. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. Like, what is there? Is there anything you wanna you wanna share? Anything that you, that you struck you as interesting uh, or or something like that? And because uh, and then you know whatever observations you have, because we can uh, we can also kind of start talking a little bit about. I wrote down a couple of like you know newsy items about Ukraine that we can kind of bring up to yeah so when i was at the train station something that really first of all it it was pretty surreal being in the middle of a refugee crisis uh because you see it on the news all the time but you don't really know until you're there and you can see okay this is actually going on um and it was also surreal in the sense that i understood why these women and children had to pack up everything and come but I couldn't fully understand what they were going through. So that was interesting. Um, another another thing that really struck me was that um, the really young kids, so, you know, toddler age to about four years old, they didn't seem to care what was going on. They didn't really understand. The, the older ones, so say 15, they just looked like they were annoyed uh, with what was going on. But the, say, 10, 11-year-old kid crowd, what struck me was the fear in their faces uh, pretty much across the board. If you were 10 or 11 there, a Ukrainian kid, they were so scared, and uh, and that really struck me um, because no matter what you did, if you tried to comfort them, you tried to give them some candy or some food, they still just still looked so scared, and that that's something that was kind of heart wrench. That's an interesting, uh, interesting observation uh, that that sort of uh, in between her age, right? Where there's a, a point at which you're like, you're too young to be fully aware of like the, the, the situation. And then there's a point where you're old enough to be like, yeah, this sucks, right? But we're not like, 
we're not dead, you know, this, whatever. But, and then, yeah, there's that in between. I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about my, my, like my siblings and me and like our age groups and how we would have reacted uh, to, to an event like this based on like what age we were. And yeah, that's a, that is an interesting, uh, an interesting observation where there is a point at which you're old enough to grasp the severity of the situation, but not old enough to like, have uh, that that uh, calming adult calming instinct to help kind of counteract it, and so like your fear could just get spiral totally out of control. Right, you're old enough to to yeah realize I have that fear, but then you're not you can't process that fear. Yeah, you can't like you don't have that uh, you don't have the ability to like talk yourself rationalize yourself out of your fear. Right, because all you know is and it kind of piggybacks. Oh, go ahead. No, because, you know, the, these kids, these in-betweeners, they're plucked out of their house. All they've heard is from their mothers are, we got to leave. They kind of understand what's going on, but they're leaving home. They're in this new place. Yeah, it's just a ton. And Go we're ahead, also Jen. dealing with, like, a refugee crisis here that is by way of the fact that men of fighting age in Ukraine cannot legally leave the Ukraine right now. You have a refugee crisis of women, children, and elderly, which just think about that for a second. It's just an ocean of like the most vulnerable people leaving a country, fleeing their homes, leaving behind everything, leaving behind their husbands, their fathers, everybody, and not knowing if you're ever going to come back, if you're ever going to see these people again. And it's just, I can imagine it's got to be just the most harrowing thing, just even trying to think about like if you had to flee your house with your kid like what would you even what would you even pack where are you going like what's i I can't even conceive of having to make these decisions right and that's something that struck me too uh that i couldn't i understood what was going on but i couldn't comprehend i couldn't comprehend on my end in my personal situation having to I guess in my case, because I'm a fighting a male of fighting age, to stay here while my family has to go to say Canada or Mexico from here, you know, um, it's just almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I just to, to bring up something sort of semi-related, um, uh, you know, uh, Marianne Williamson uh, was getting uh, majorly dunked on on Twitter today uh, because of her. <laughs> Her tweet about how we're almost a quarter way into the 21st century and like we haven't we haven't invented anything that advanced civilization like what what kind of thing is this or whatever and this is a take that is not just hers i think a lot of people take like the miracles of the past 20 years for way for granted and here's an example of that carlos because you're talking about like okay men are staying in ukraine <coughs> their families are going somewhere else do you know how much easier it will be for them to connect after this because of like the internet? Do you understand that like after like the world war, like let's say World War II, like some people didn't see their loved ones for like literal years, and then and there's stories about Jews who like you know like a siblings or whatever who were at a concentration camp or whatever, and then they find each other like decades. It takes them decades to find each other. That's not going to happen now. 
in in today's world where all of these people are going to be looking for each other, yes, they're obviously going to be like tra- you know tragic like uh, uh, MIA type stories where like somebody's probably dead but they never know or whatever. But like the ability of people to like reconnect after this conflict is going to be just insanely easier because of the miracles of communication we have now. And like the, the, to just reduce that to like, oh, your phone, your Instagram is like, it's so cynical. And like, you just take for granted, like, again, look at the thing we're doing right now. Look at this thing that we are actually doing right now and the platform we're using to do it. And the because you could be in Ukraine right now, Carlos, and I could be in Israel and we could still be doing this the way we're doing it right in exactly the same way. Right. That's that is sort of miraculous. Yeah. And I was actually thinking that 20, you know, 22 years ago, I we really wouldn't have been able to see as much. Uh, of what's going on over there as we do now and the fact that i could see it immediately decide to go halfway across the world in about three hours uh, go there and then come back in four days and then be back home is insane to me but go there uh uh, sort of be in constant communication from there show pictures and video of yourself to people and uh, and people can wire you money. You could go buy. You could like, you know, I can like at, on an app send you money on the spot that you can then go buy somebody like a I don't know what like a sleeping bag if they need it or something like that. Like it's again like people just think of it as like oh your phone, but it's it is actually amazing what we can do now, and uh, and like how uh, how flexible our ability is to like do stuff like that. Yeah. That, that was another thing that was amazing is how many of, you know, the people that I told to, uh, that I was going, uh, how many people wanted to help. It was incredible. You know, a lot of people didn't have the ability to do what I did and they, they helped out a ton. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to dox people who don't want to get, you know, docs have been called out about donating, but, you know, I know who they are and they, they were so generous and, um, and, and that's another thing, you know, you can put your message out there. Hey, I'm doing X, Y, Z. You can personally fundraise for it and then go. Um, and you know, 20 years ago, that's, that was almost unheard of. You had to take a long time to kind of go around and fundraise and, and all that stuff. Um, so it was, it was incredible. Yeah, there's a definite immediacy to everything, and especially bringing it back to like the journalism angle. Like anybody can go, and anybody can you can shoot video, you can take pictures, you can post, you can then share it immediately online, and it can be shared widely by millions of people. And this is another sort of new and unique situation with this Ukrainian war that hasn't really existed in the past, and really opens the door for a lot of opportunities for people to really like go in and show like, okay, this is what's happening. You can see it. Like here's, I will take a video of the hole in the ground and I will share it on Twitter and everybody can see it. So it's not even that you have to like wait for information anymore. It's just pushed to you immediately by hundreds and hundreds of people. And that's really kind of amazing when you think about it. It is. And also that's another reason why I did go is because of the immediacy. So, because 
immediacy has its advantages and disadvantages because of the immediacy you see something but nowadays you really have to wait and see if what you the context of what you saw if, if you know what it was if it's true or not what happened there and that was kind of a, a reason that i went because i said that i decided that i actually i want to see what's going on myself because i know a lot of stuff is going through twitter through the media so i wanted to see it for myself because of that the, the disadvantages of the uh, of that immediacy that you were talking and I've been very encouraging of people like if you you doubt any of this, if you've got questions, go. I mean, you can go. You can go see it for yourself. If you think this is all fake, go blow it wide open. Prove us all wrong. And I've yet to see it happen. So. Yeah, I think there was even uh, uh, I think uh, Cassie Dillon, who uh, was in Ukraine for Daily Wire, got into it on Twitter with Candace Owens, also of Daily Wire, about Ukraine. And Cassie said to her, "I'm, I'm going. You, you're, you're, you're welcome to come with me." Like yeah. I think she's going back, and she was like, "You should come. You should come with me." And, well, and so, yeah. So funny story. I actually. <laughs> I, when I decided I was going, I texted Cassie. I was like, hey, I'm going to uh, Ukraine. She's like, what, really? And she asked me for the details. And then she, uh, you know, a couple days later, she's like, I'm going to Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're basically – this. so Scoop, Cassie Dillon ripped you off. Basically, basically she basically <laughs> took my idea. And then she stole your idea. She st- you, you should have trademarked the idea of going to Ukraine. <laughs> So that you could then have you, you could have uh, issued a copyright strike against her, but uh, but I will say like and she and she you know she definitely offered this in good faith and and good for her because I think that would be like I I wish Candace Owens took her up on it because that's a great that's actually a great idea like even even if she's skeptical like that's if she's skeptical she's like she should go look by all means um, and uh, and yeah and uh, so uh, so. Um, we can uh, let's see. We uh, we're almost we we can uh, we can uh, take some calls in a little bit. We can go over some of like I said the most recent developments uh, that have been going on. There's just a couple of things going on uh, over the last uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, that are kind of interesting to point out. One is that uh, it seems that uh, the Ukrainians are starting to uh, launch some counteroffensives. Around Kiev and have pushed uh, the Russian army back in some places, uh, and that now they seem to be kind of digging in, um, rather than trying to advance back towards the city, which could be bad in a different way or whatever. But it is worth noting that they're they are actually getting sort of uh, sort of pushed back from positions that they had previously held. Um, the second is that NATO uh, uh, came out uh, with uh, casualty estimates of their own, saying that the K, the, the KIA count could be as high as 15,000 and the total casualty figure at around 40,000, um, which is insane because I think I think the total number of soldiers they brought in was like 150,000. And so those are those are those are like World War casualty figures, like in terms of how long it's been. Like think of American, you know, think of like American and British casualties of that levels. Could you imagine? Could you imagine losing fifteen thousand soldiers in two or three weeks in a country that's like as transparent as ours, where you can't not tell people that fifteen thousand people have died? Well, to put it in, yeah. in perspective, about I think in World War Two, about six thousand six hundred. U.S. service members died a month in World War II. Yeah. So I and yeah, and that was and and uh, 
and towards the end of the war, that was like, like Americans were done with that. Like they couldn't take it anymore. And yeah, like just imagine these casualty figures. And by the way, there was an interesting, uh, interesting thing. I, I want to digress for, for a second. Uh, someone said on uh, on Twitter about they said something like, uh, "Stop calling this medieval warfare, right? This is modern warfare because this is what happened in Syria and this is what happened in Grozny and stuff." And that's like it's actually no, that is wrong. What you're seeing here is not modern warfare. You're seeing what you, the the reason they're suffering death tolls this the this high is modern warfare. They're engaged in old school warfare and they're getting kicked in the face by modern warfare, by small end laws that you don't need a ton of training to operate and drones and all kinds of like small tactics and stuff. That's the modern warfare. Like what we're arming Ukraine with is modern warfare, not what Russia's doing. You know what's even crazier? You've heard about the the switchblades that we're sending over, right? The... What, what is what is the cute euphemism we have for now? The, the oh, the killer killer drones. Yeah, because suicide because the word suicide or kamikaze are, are both kind of problematic for different reasons. I also like I like loitering munitions. Yes, loitering munitions. That's great. It just reminds <laughs> me of the it reminds me of the Brian Regan uh, joke about somebody who's in jail for loitering. Loitering. You know, it's the dumbest crime to be put in jail for because you were just standing around um but yeah and, and, and yeah and by the way again you're talking modern warfare you know they, it's like they have those like uh, ninja ninja things like israel has those where it's a missile where instead of exploding it deploys swords have you seen this thing have you seen this fucking thing it what it does is it has four blades that come out of it in like right angles and then it spins like a like a blender like a flying blender and it flies in through the like the window of your car and shreds you like a like a blender blade but it what, doesn't ex- green goblin yeah but yeah, exactly but it doesn't explode like the point is it's like a precision munition you should look it up. I can't remember the name of it, but it is like it's the craziest cartoon thing you've ever seen. But yeah, the point of it is to be like super targeted and not to explode and kill like collateral damage. Um, but I'm saying like you're that those are the kinds of things like 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 Jen said, loitering munitions, which are essentially kamikaze drones. It's a drone that you don't it doesn't go back to base. You you ram it into a thing and it explodes, right? Yeah, and actually, someone I can't remember who it was on National Review described the war as a 1970s army fighting an early 2000s smaller army. <laughs> and it's not far off. I mean, especially going back to those switchblades. What what kind of creeps me out about those, and also kind of javelins too, because obviously they're more expensive, but it's kind of in the same vein. Like the switchblades basically fit in a backpack and they cost about six grand a piece. Javelins obviously do not fit in a backpack, but they're on shoulder launchers, cost about $175,000 a piece. When you compare that to the amount of damage that they can do, it's like not only is war getting easier, it's getting cheaper. Like a $175,000 javelin can take out a million-dollar tank. Like at some point, you have to start thinking about like the scale of that and what that actually means going forward. 
Yeah. But even like we we discussed how this is whatever Russia thought they were going to do, this is clearly not it. I mean, this is the 21st century warfare is going to be urban warfare. And these are the kinds of tools that armies or civilians, because obviously a lot of what's going on in Ukraine is civilians. This is how it's going to be fought, not with rolling tanks into cities and convoys and stuff like that's that's so ridiculous. Like what? I don't know what they were thinking, but obviously it's not going very well. And and by the way, what you just described, Carlos, much like me, is a huge hardcore history nerd. Uh, and what you're describing now is uh, is uh, another like a, it's like a, a modern evolution of something that happened again in World War One. Where uh, the idea that a U boat, like a cheap sub, a cheap U boat, a cheap submarine, could sink like a battleship that was, you know, fifty times more expensive and took three to four years to build and could do it instantly, because like when in the beginning of that whole era, there was no like sonar, there was no countermeasures to torpedoes; they were totally vulnerable. And so, like you're saying now, with a cheap $6,000 backpack drone, you know, you could take out like a tank or something like that. That's crazy. That is a, that's a crazy sort of new future. Like that BBC guy, that report, uh, and that he was embedded with the uh, Ukrainians. And these Ukrainians had in the back of their van... A bunch of yes, tanks. yes, in just a regular <laughs> ass van. Yeah, taking out you know these you know T T seventy twos and stuff. It, it's it's incredible. And there was another report I saw, a video report about a village that lured a bunch of tanks in, and then the villagers like took them out with like uh, small munitions and stuff. Yeah, I saw that video. That was awesome. But I mean, that's what modern warfare is going to look like. And I thought that was the lesson that everybody learned from Afghanistan. But apparently Russia didn't get the memo. I'm not sure. There's this. That's a that's going to be that's a huge mystery. And you know what? There's there's some aspects of wars like this are almost like never, you know, like never uh, uh, resolved, like never known for sure. I think I was saying because uh, once again, the logistics are a big element here. You keep hearing a lot of stories about logistics. The Russians, they don't have any tourniquets and they have frostbite. And again, these are all questionable reports, but some of them have to be true, right? Let's say half of the things you hear are true. Half of the things you hear about logistics are true. Or, or alternatively, they're all true, but they're only half as bad as it you hear. So that not, not zero Russians have tourniquets, only half of them have them, okay? I think a lot of uh, – there's a, a combination of things here. I think a lot of corruption led to uh, poor equipment and stuff like that. Um, a lack of knowledge, because again, clearly there wasn't, a lot of them didn't know that they were going into an operation of this sort. They didn't know they were going into an operation at all. Nobody knew it was going to be this big of an operation, even the people who knew it was going to be an operation. And again, in an authoritarian country like this, like you can't, you, you can't say, you can't say to the president, you know, uh, our, our army looks like shit. We can't invade Ukraine. Like, you can't say that. I keep going back to Chernobyl, to the, the miniseries. 
where there was like a test and they were like, we can't run the test right now. But like nobody can say to their superior, we can't run the test right now because the reactor is going to explode if we do. Because you can't say no in a, in a system like that. Right, which is why probably – and that's why their casualty rate is so high because it's – no one knows what's going on. They don't have a command structure for an invasion of this scale. So combined with the authoritarian aspect, it's just a disaster. And they're not they, – they, they're, they're – they're, and once again, I will say that uh, we, we, the West, the United States, and you know our, our sort of allies, our philosophical allies, are coming out of this looking really good, just in the sense of how we wage war when we do, uh, just by force of comparison. Because you always say, because there's always the hypothetical, you know, which is never a strong argument when somebody says like, "Oh my God, we're butchers," and you're like, "You haven't seen what real butchers." how real butchers fight war and that that argument holds no water until somebody actually sees that in practice now obviously it's not good that there's nothing good about this but i am saying that like and i i keep i i've said this before like on twitter and also on the podcast i said like this is now you see what what actual merciless war looks like and you can maybe look at the efforts that western armies take to not do this uh, and give them slightly more credit. You know, again, war will always be disgusting in hell, right? You're not gonna. It's not. You can't fight a. You can't fight a sterile war, right? But I do think that credit is owed to efforts that are made to not both throw our soldiers into a meat grinder and to not give a crap about collateral damage and and and, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. The, it, because if, if there were, if we, the U.S., a.k.a. the West, uh, were the, if we, if our strikes were, were, had the same collateral damage that Russia was giving Ukraine. I mean, if we were bombing cities to rubble, there would be such an outcry. And so you're right in that sense. I mean, war, you know, in the famous words of fallout, war never changes, but, um, but we definitely have, we definitely wage war in a way that's as sterile as it can get. And I think people are starting to realize that now, especially, I mean, it's been a long time since anybody's really paid attention, especially, I mean, to how Russia fights overall, but how sort of more insurgent types and more, even like obviously the Russian government, who is traditionally not really given a damn about their body count, it's just throw bodies at it until the problem goes away. And now it's for contrast. Now you're starting to see like they just dumped 190,000 people into our country. They're taking insane losses, and yet they're not leaving. But they're also just they don't care. Like nobody seems to care in Moscow. And that would be if the U.S. launched an attack the way that Moscow has launched on Ukraine and anybody in the U.S. found out about not just like the actual body count, but the amount of money that is being lost in equipment, the amount of tanks that are just being left, the amount of helicopters, the amount of planes, everything, it would be such 
it would be such a nightmare for the U.S. government. Like, there's no way that could even happen. Yeah, and on that on that note, uh, the defense minister. It, it now the there's a, the, another bit of news is that the the defense minister Shoigu or whatever his name is is uh, kind of missing, and nobody's seen him in like two weeks. <laughs> um. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of theories about he might be under house arrest and he might, cause there was all kinds of, again, there's all sorts of stories about potential purges in the FSB departments that were responsible for the pre-invasion Intel. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. And, and none of it is confirmable, but all of it sounds at least somewhat plausible because yeah, if there was a fuck up of this size, they would definitely try to like, uh, do what what we would do, you know, like ask somebody to, res, you know, hand in their resignation or whatever. You know, it's the 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 authoritarian police state equivalent of that is like, as I said, to go visit your family in Siberia. <laughs> yeah, it's very Stalinesque. What's that stories and what's coming out of there? The whole situation just seems very very. And it happened so quickly. It's so weird. By the way, uh, we're we can, we're going to keep talking. Uh, there's nobody in the queue, but people, if if people want to uh, ask a question or make a comment, you can uh, you can do the thing that lets you do the thing. Uh, uh, we we're going to keep talking, but if uh, yeah, if if anybody wants to uh, to hop on, there's the ability to like request a, a hop on. I think there's like a little phone icon or. Or I don't. That's that's one uh, that's one uh, problem. Is I I don't know what your UI looks like because I'm the host, so I can't tell you exactly what the icon looks like. But anyway, we're we're gonna just uh, we're gonna keep uh, we're gonna keep talking uh, in the meantime. Um, and uh, yeah, again, the immediacy with which it happened. Again, Carlos, I keep going back to 1917 and how quickly that happened. That was a, a sort of a reverse situation where a where the czar fell, right? And here there's more, uh, it's more of a, it is a little bit more of a, like a Nazi Germany type situation. Uh, because, you know, uh, one of the biggest things that I hate that they say on the internet about Nazi Germany that's wrong is that all, if fascism crept into Nazi Germany. And that's not true. What happened was the Hitler became chancellor and two months later he had absolute power. And then after that, slowly they ratcheted up the heat on Jews and whatever. But like the power grab was really quick. Now here it was already pretty bad before this whole thing started. But like the absolute crazy shift that happened. All, like again, uh, I can't remember who said this to me, but – uh, there's always this thing where you're thinking like, what's going to be the next big story, right? And it's never the thing you want. <laughs> First it was COVID and now it's this. You know, it's never something fun. It's never like aliens. It's never like, oh, we discovered a new, I don't know what. We figured out a way to do a virtual reality where you plug yourself into the matrix or something fun. Something fu it's never something fun. Oh, none of that. None that's of that true. sounds fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's weird. Hold on, I'm gonna. I'll bring Carlos back up for whatever reason he. I invited him back. Yeah, there just kick me off. That's all, all right, good. 
Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, and so uh, I guess uh, those are the those are sort of the the main uh, news sort of items coming out of it. I know that we're have we're in the midst of a big uh, Supreme Court hoopla. That that funny enough, like I feel like it's a lot easier for me to to skip over or to 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 not be heavily invested in because it's not a deciding vote. <laughs> I guess that's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair to, to Katanji Brown Jackson, but I also sort of don't, I don't know. I, to me, I don't feel like maybe it is because there's a war and it, and it doesn't, it feels like, yeah, sure. Whatever. She'll vote probably the way Breyer would have voted on anything. And so it's kind of, it's sort of, immater- it's immaterial when there's a war going on and, and who knows how much bigger it might get. And it, if not for the war, maybe I would have been more invested in it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's like two fourth fourth place teams doing an equal trade while the while the uh, division leaders are having a playoff game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually sat down and watched the Kavanaugh hearings just because of everything that was going on around that whole situation and the build up to it. And that was just one of the most batshit things I've ever seen in my life. I still can't believe that was real. I cannot believe we discussed beer and farting in a Supreme court confirmation hearing, but yeah, it's just, I can't. It's so, by the way, it was so, it was such a big news story that people almost forget that there was another one after that. And before this one, Mm-hmm. That was way less of a hoopla because it wasn't because this that one was I, I mean, I, I want to say unique, but it's I, I'm not going to be one of those people who like will make history started yesterday remarks without looking into it, because I think there was other there was like Bork and stuff like that. And I don't want to make any comparisons, but it was in the last several it was unique in its, like you said, in its uh, in its focus on not his like judicial philosophy, but on a very specific incident that uh, on which hinged his ability to serve on the court, right? And they tried it with Barrett, but I mean, never. It wasn't the same as Kavanaugh, just because the Kavanaugh hearings just happened at that just perfect moment for that to happen just the height of the me too movement and just everybody went all in on this in a way that like i i know none of y'all watched the supreme court confirmation hearing before don't 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 try to lie to me (laughs) no you didn't but that was just a perfect like zeitgeist moment which is feels like the weirdest thing to say about something that's normally like dull and boring but now it's like and, and this is why I can't really deal with congressional anything anymore as far as televised hearings, because it just turns into a complete circus where everybody's just trying to get screen time. And I kind of there's a part of me that supports having these sorts of things, especially like Supreme Court nominee confirmation hearings, being open to the public and being televised so that if you are interested, you can actually watch and see what this potential Supreme Court justice is going to think. But on the other hand, this would all be 95% better if there was no cameras in sight. Yeah, I was – and, you know, she was actually asked about this in her uh, in her hearing about uh, cameras in the court and the cameras in the Supreme Court. 
And she was very noncommittal. She was like, I, want, I, sh- I need to ask the other justices what they think before I comment on this and whatever. And you're right. I have competing instincts here. Because on the one hand, yeah, transparency. super important for uh, uh, congressional hearings. And I think, too, Supreme Court deliberations to be something that's transparent to the public. But, yeah, g- grandstandism is is so endemic that, like, Maybe maybe what they need to do is just like release release all of the footage like with a delay, like a day later or something like that to kind of prevent it from being like news cycle intensive. I don't know. There is no real way around it like that. It's a problem. It's abused because of the way sort of um, again, this miracle of uh, communication and technology. There's always a flip side, right? Everything always has. Uh, a sort of a darker aspect to it. And this is a darker aspect of it, which is that uh, grand. it's way easier to grandstand if you're a politician, if you're anybody with a sort of sense of self-promotion. And so, yeah, these things that are important for the public to view are also used as platforms for lots and lots of grandstanding. It's a fundraising event, basically. For yeah, okay. mm-hmm. Or and even like a, even like a, gather more followers on Twitter. Like, I mean, it's that lo- it's that base on a, on a certain level, you know, it's just to get lots of retweets on your, yeah, get, get a viral clip of you yelling at X, Y, Z, and then you get the, the rage retweets and then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We get to watch Ted Cruz asking, you know, deep insightful questions of a Supreme court justice nominee. Like what is a woman? And do you think babies are racist? Like, dude, this is, this is a somewhat serious procedure here. Can you please try to take it seriously? Somebody, anybody, there's, somebody other than Ben Sass? Yeah, there's, that's the thing. Like, because I, there are, unfortunately, they're, they're taking things that are, are actually worth discussing in a way. And again, like you said, turning them into like shit posts. Because you could even argue, I think there is even a case to be made that like someone who serves on a Supreme Court and will likely or probably or maybe be forced to or, or, you know, like uh, sit on cases involving stuff like gender and the bleeding edge of like transgender policy and stuff like that. But that's not how you don't trap them. Like I said, I tweeted a lot about this and I like made some fun of it and stuff. But like, yeah, like trying to trap them into a like uh, in like a Twitter battle kind of way is not the way to do that. There's there are substantive ways to bring up these topics in the way, for example, like I just did. If Ted Cruz had said something like that, if he had said something like, you know, if you on the court would be asked to rule on an issue of uh, of uh, uh, you know like transgenderism and it would involve the idea of defining specifically what a woman is, how would you go about doing that or whatever? And if you would say something like, well, I would uh, bring a bunch of experts and I would listen to expert opinion or whatever, that might not satisfy some people. But at least you had a substantive question and a somewhat substantive answer about like process, about how uh, she would go about reaching a decision on this, what kind of expertise she would see you instead of just trying to like pin her into saying something about genetics or I don't know what, so that you can then, like you said, fundraise off of it. Right. 
and just open it up the floor again. If anybody else has anything they'd like to say, please raise your hand. Speak <laughs> up. That's, yeah, that's the point here. Come talk to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know. I mean, not not, not there. There's not always uh, the people don't always have uh, something to say. And also, there is a there is a uh, there is a self conscious uh, nature sometimes to this. I know it's a little hard the first time. You know, uh, like with podcasting too. Um, I remember when I, uh, did my very, very first podcast where I just did it by myself. It took me forever to just start the very first time. Cause I was like, I'm alone in a room talking to myself and it felt really awkward. Now I do it like it's second nature. Right. But like, there is something a little, there is something a little intimidating maybe about doing it for the first time. But yeah, if nobody, if nobody has uh, any comment, we can kind of, uh, we can kind of wind down because we're, we're almost at the, uh, at the hour mark mm-hmm. um, and say, thank you. There was, there was actually a nice, uh, a nice uh, audience in here tonight. Um, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to, again, we're, we're going to be doing this every Wednesday. You can uh, look forward to us maybe popping up on other shows or I'll, you know, bringing people, from other stuff onto this and also maybe just doing uh, like ra- ra- like random rooms or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I, I want to see if I can take advantage of this platform because it's, uh, it's cool and like I said, flexible and it allows kind of s- sort of spontaneous and, and flexible topic kind of discussions and stuff. My Elden Ring thing I did with uh, Stephen Miller was, was pretty fun and just like a totally off topic just talking about video games. Uh, with a bunch of people. Yeah, definitely. We'll be doing, obviously, the Wednesday show, and you never know. We're full of surprises. Maybe we'll just decide one night, just, bucket. we're bored. Let's do a call-in. Yeah, exactly. We'll be like a <laughs> surprise drunk call-in, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe our reputations are, <laughs> are, have be, are becoming too important. <laughs> okay, oh, Car- you know what? I'll bring Carlos back up just so we can say thank you, uh, Thank you to him. Uh, there you go. Uh, thank you so much, Carlos, for joining us. That was uh, that was really cool. Yeah, no problem. I also noticed that the leave speakers button is right next to the mute button. And so my fat thumbs are. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny that you said that because for me, it's end room. That's right next to the mute button. So now I'm going to be really self-conscious about hitting it. <laughs> So that's why I kept getting, you know, I kicked myself off. The, floor. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. the secret is just don't touch anything once you start. Yes. Do you want to, Carlos, do you want to promote anything? Where can people follow you or uh, whatever? Uh, so I'm on Twitter. I'm going to spell it out because it's ridiculous, but it's T-X-I-O-K-A-T-U. It's like Shikatu. Uh But uh, I'm on there, you know, um, you could see some more uh, posts about Poland if you kind of scroll through. Um, that it, when it, you know, videos and pictures that I posted. Um, but I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't have anything else to to prove. <laughs> All right, yeah, whatever, yeah. cool. And you know, I mean, I, I assume I don't know if we need to go through the whole promotion thing here, Jen, because I have a feeling that everyone here knows how to reach us. Because otherwise, how do they end up here? But we we could. I'm pretty sure, every, I'm pretty sure everybody's got it down pat by now. <laughs> but if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the actual link to our official Twitter account for Ambitious Crossover Attempt is in our call-in bio. My handle on Twitter is at that Jen Monroe, and I'm on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. 
Yay, I'm at NeonTaster on Twitter and uh, YouTube.com slash C slash NeonTaster and Twitch.tv slash NeonTaster, more Elden Ring. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for Ambitious uh, 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 Crossover Attempt on Monday and then more of this next Wednesday. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, Jen. Good night, Carlos. Good night. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.